virgin. Shh, shh. Hold it there. Oh, yes, and another thing. Maybe you are not aware that our station is heard clearly at this hour of the night in the Caribbean. <laughs> Believe it or not. And about every three or four weeks, I get a letter from an underground listener who is hearing it in Cuba. <laughs> it's Radio Free America down there. And this guy's sitting there with his green hat and his beard. He's down there listening. Yes, he's waiting for that. Everywhere they're pausing now. There is a moment in man's affairs when that lull that refreshes must be consummated, right? All right, ein, zwei, drei! Oh, he moves like a tiger. Like a sinister, insane tiger. Look at that. And then the symbolic cue is given. Excelsior, you Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the candidate is now approaching the platform. The demonstrators are marching back and forth. This looks like it's going to be a landslide. They're beginning to cheer again. All right, feel that one, Barry Goldwater. Oh. You know, uh, really, uh, I'll tell you, this... This, this, uh, this is the season, I, I, I have it, I have it on good authority that this is going to be a summer beyond the memory of all summers that any of you have ever spent. Oh, yeah. In many ways. Now, we're here at the limelight. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He owns the joint. <laughs> He's had bills on his back like a giant Moby Dick for 20 years. <laughs> yes, we're at the limelight on Sheridan Square, right in the heart of steaming, fetid, passionate New York City. And you know what the slogan of New York is? New York is a summer fistfight. Hi, <laughs> right, George. And we're down here, and we'll be here until midnight festering and popping and steaming away. And right out this door, just, a hang, just hanging right above Barrow Street, is a fantastic three-quarter moon. The temperature hovers in the 90-degree mark. The humidity is about 97%. It is at these moments that man's blood begins to boil. And all those little things that are inside of you begin to stand up and shout and scratch and gnaw. Little gray, furry creatures. Little fangs. They keep saying, go and do it. Go and do it. And all the while, that other creature in you, that beautiful carbon alabaster creature of nothing but pure good, says no. 
And all the while the temperature lays there at 90 degrees. Do you know that in just two hours, a little less actually, it will be the first day of summer. This, you hear him already hissing up there. The steam is coming out of the ears already. The first day of summer, this was the last day of spring. And you know, I, I've always had a feeling that we celebrate artificial holidays in most countries. I mean, you know, things we invent like Fourth uh, of July. This is, you know, it's, it's an invented holiday. Thanksgiving. But the real holidays that the genuine primeval man celebrates are the holidays that are created by nature himself. Herself, itself, whatself. Really? That beginning tomorrow, the day will be ever so shorter. This is the longest day of the year. And the primal man knew it, you know. Somehow he saw that sun go down just a little quicker on the other eye, on the other side of the fir tree. And he began to fear inside of himself that approaching was winter. And with winter came those howling gales, those terrible bears, and those raging snowstorms. And so here it is. We're poised on the brink. Shall I tell you the scariest summer that I ever spent? Do you want to hear an army story tonight? Yeah! Now wait, it's not an army story, so don't get bugged. It's not an army story. It's a story of primal man crouched down in his cave. Yeah, it is a long story. I'll tell you, it's a long story. <laughs> hey, by the way, speaking of that, have you ever wondered, just, just briefly, just, just a little momentary wonder, what a true Neanderthal man would make of this if one of them came walking in tonight? Well, he looks around, and here we're all sitting. No, he wouldn't be at home. Oh, no. Because none of us, even, even we who are here, are not at home. Why do you think a Neanderthal man would be? All of us feel vaguely... You know, disenfranchised. Somehow, have you noticed that the other tables seem to laugh at stuff you don't get? <laughs> you notice that? That there is a certain crew that radiates hereness, H-E-R-E. -E. They're here, you know. They, they belong here. Have you gotten on buses at 3 o'clock in the morning and you felt that somehow you've gotten into a private club? <laughs> you know, they're all sitting there and they seem to fit. They fit there. You get out at a ballpark and there's a certain group of people who somehow are there. They fit. Go to the beach right now. I'll tell you, the first day of the beach season, you get out to the beach and there's a whole crowd of long-limbed people with dark tans carrying these little baskets of stuff around. And they fit. They're there. The true beach people. In the wintertime, they're the true cocktail party people. They belong. They fit. They're here. That's why you are south of 14th Street tonight. This is, this is where all the people who don't fit on the beach come. You know, who figure they're going to go to the beach and they wind up there the last week of August. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday and leave at 5.30. You know, 
You know, by the way, I think, I think one of the worst things about the change of seasons is this terrible sick feeling you get inside of you that it's already getting away from you. Have you had the feeling that it's already winter coming on and you haven't done it yet? <laughs> haven't done anything. You get this frantic thing, you know, and you can start wandering around with thermos bottles and they say, oh, gee, what's the use? The sun is out there and nothing and you're just getting that long line of traffic going out there. And yet, always, that time goes on. Well, let me tell you one time, I guess how I developed, you know, most people have no sense of time except the momentary time on their watch. They know it's 10.30. But as far as their life moving on, as far as genuine time moving, they don't know this. That's why they keep saying, gee, look at the kid is grown. They're surprised. You know, the kid's nine years old. He's two and a half feet tall, so he's grown already, you know. They're constantly surprised. Well, I'm in the Army, and I'm assigned to an outfit you know, these are the outfits that are never written up in war stories. These are the outfits that James Jones, I guess, never even knew existed. Norman Mailer never heard from these outfits. <laughs> and yet they composed 99.9% of the army. <laughs> and no one records them. Well, I am assigned to a Signal Corps Signal Air Warning Radar Unit. Now. This, I, I don't know what this conjures up in your mind. It probably conjures up some very efficient thing. You know, you, you, you probably see, yeah, e efficient, you know. You'll probably see these recruiting, little recruiting one-minute spots on TV. It shows all the GIs sitting there with the scopes and all that. You know, they're very sharp-looking. Well, let me tell you about the 3162nd Signal Air Warning Company, which at one point was posted deep in the heart of the Florida Everglades. <laughs> well, now, I don't know what you know about Florida. If, if, if you think of Florida and you think of Miami Beach, or you think of this hotel up here on Lexington Avenue, <laughs> forget it. This is really Florida. And, of course, all of us at first were kind of excited. You know, we, we, they said, we're going down to Florida. And we had been putting together our little unit. We had all our little equipment all set up. We had, we had prime movers. You know, they don't call trucks trucks in the Army. Isn't that a great word? Prime mover. Sounds like the Blitzkrieg or something. <laughs> prime mover. All it was was this rotten truck with bad valves, you know. <laughs> Made us feel good to get in the prime mover. And it had a bad carburetor, you know, a whole bit. But it was a prime mover, you know. So we had, we had two prime movers, which are gigantic, big, green trucks. And on the back of each truck was this enormous cabinet filled with our hard-hitting U.S. Signal Corps efficient equipment. All this stuff. I'll tell you, this stuff made Japanese transistor radios look complicated. <laughs> I mean, real bad stuff. But we, got, we get down to the Everglades, and we couldn't quite believe it at first. We kept going further and further and further into the swamps. And it kept hotter and hotter as we went. Until finally we arrived at a tiny town with our two prime movers, our three little jeeps, our troop carrier, our poor, sad, pockmarked captain <laughs> sitting up there in the front. You see, he... <laughs> it's sad, you know. 
You could, you could, uh, this is another officer that you never have here written about. You always hear about the fascistic second lieutenant, you know, the hard-hitting guy that orders him to go up and get killed. There's nothing sadder than the captain who used to teach English at Northwestern <laughs> and who had dreams of being on General Eisenhower's staff and making some kind of command decisions. And now here he is heading deeper and deeper into the muck with a bunch of nearsighted Signal Corps T-5s and a second-hand radar unit that had been sent over to us by the British as surplus already. <laughs> the war is in its second year. we got surplus gear yet. And I'm telling you, it's all in British markings. All the screws went backwards and everything. And, I, and it was terrible stuff. We, we, get, we get further and further, and finally we get at this tiny town. You know, there are people living in the Everglades, in, in, the, in places you couldn't conceive of. Just nothing but water and stuff, just quiet, heavy moss and smell of, of millions and millions of dead lizards that have died over the last 10 million years. And there they sit, the Florida crackers. And our little unit arrived. We were to go 10 miles further. <laughs> well, I will pass over the trek lightly except to point out that three months passed by and our unit began to fit in now into this ground. We, were, we, we wore nothing but torn shorts, just all torn. We were all walking like this because the heat pushing down on us. If you, you know these little mosquito bites that you guys get around here in this, this type of climate? Well, each one of us was one big mosquito bite. Just a big pimple, you know, with feet. We'd walk on scrap. Like, and, and, and starting right roughly at the hairline and extending down a foot and a half into the ground, all of us with a strange green-yellow fungus. Just covered us like moss. You know, we looked like the rocks and the trees, and we scratching. We'd put a thick butter of sulfur salve on us. We'd just walk, and we'd leave trails of grease and glob. Well, there were 38 of us. Oh, boy, let me tell you, you learn about mankind. When you live with 38 guys in a steaming jungle for one solid year, you learn every possible crotchet, every possible hang-up. And, and, and new hang-ups all of a sudden break out. You just get to accept them, you know. Guy sitting there, and he'll be eating a, a dash of ham at book, just eating it, you know. They said, well, you know, he really digs mysteries. <laughs> okay, accept it. You get so that you just accept things. Well, three months passed by. We arrived down there somewhere in February or March. Three months passed by. And every succeeding day was hotter. Every succeeding day was about a tenth of a degree hotter than the day before. Eerie. You see, we had this equipment. We had to keep temperature checks. And guys were keeping charts. You know, we couldn't believe it. It's just going up, up. 99.8. We check it off. The next day, 99.9. Get the thing, and of course, your ears are steaming, and it's just quiet. And the, the humidity is 105. Always. If you moved your hand quick, it would rain. Right? Just, you know, just, just went on, went on. 
and, and, and you've got the sense, you know, of, of constantly just swimming underwater. Just, you know, hot water. You're just swimming, swimming. And every day it got hotter. Now, how did we live? Now, I don't know. This, this is the kind of stuff no war book ever tells you about. We're living in what they call a pyramidal tent. That's a pyramidal tent. It's a, like a little pyramid with little sides. And there are six guys in each tent. And it's laid around, just like this. The, the, the little bunks are all around like this and two in the middle. And it's made of this peculiar waterproof material. The tent was. All it did was keep all the water in. You know? Just seemed to catch it all during the day. And you just, you know, it's like you go to the tank that night to sleep. Well, you'd lie there and you'd smell. You know, smells are very important to us, and, and, and as animals, we hardly, we hardly recognize it, but we are animals, you know. And, and smells are constantly with us. And whenever I think of the Army, I think of that peculiar smell of the waterproof canvas. You know that smell? It's like, sort of like old gasoline. There's a little touch of tar. A kind of overtone of Smith Brothers cough drops. It's a funny, yeah, it's a funny smell, you know. And, and, and then the smell of the fatigues. Well, now, there are ladies present. But I want to tell you, when you are watching a movie and you see the G.I.s, you know, slogging around, you see Rip Torn and Care to Lee, all those hard-hitting G.I.s, you know. You see these guys, Anthony Perkins, you know, all those, that's a tough crew. You can see why the Germans lost with guys like Rip Torn after him, I'll tell you. <laughs> Boy, speaking of hard-hitting blitzkriegs, what station is this, friends? That's right. Hit it. Where are we? Where? All right, all right. That's enough of that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the great historic moment, the mosquitoes came out you see, the mosquitoes down there in, in Florida know a season. We thought we had mosquitoes when we went down there. All this was was just permanent party that we ran into. This is strictly, this is strictly an army comment. This was cavalry we were living with. And then the new guys moved in. Incredible! All of a sudden, one day the mosquitoes came. You could hear them coming from out at sea. You could hear them coming from... They were coming from the north and the south. The sky was dark with them. It was like some fantastic... And you could hear this... Ooh, you know that itchy, rotten feeling? Well, within five minutes, the mosquitoes... He said, by the way, one of the natives in this little town where about every three days, one of us would be allowed to go in to stand on the street corner for ten minutes. That was our big leave. We'd stand there and watch the pool room for a while, which was off limits. <laughs> and, and we'd stand there, we'd go back, and one of the natives said to me, he said, yeah, he said, you know, this, this place kind of, you got, you got to get used to it, I guess. Of course, you're lucky you aren't here in the mosquito season. And I've got my mosquito net, you know, I'm drinking flip. And, and you're just waiting for me. He says, ain't got, you're lucky you're in the mosquito season. I said, I'm not in the mosquito season. Well, I get that word, and I go back to the tent. I take the Jeep, and I'm sitting there, and I can hear nothing but this hum. 
all around everywhere and it's 105 degrees and I smell that waterproofing fluid and I smell the fatigues from the last month all piled up in the corner and I'm sitting there and Gasser comes in and Gasser has been reduced now for the last month he's just been wearing a Johnson & Johnson athletic supporter <laughs> it's all he's wearing he comes walking in out of the mosquitoes and I say, I say, Gasser, one of the boys in front of the pool room just told me we're here in the good season. Gasser says, what? He's scratching. I said, well, you see, it ain't mosquito season yet, Gasser. Well, we had been under the sun for about four months, and we were the color of old, oh, just awful, you know, and Gasser sort of pales a little bit. He says, not mosquito season. Snow gasser. And all the while, all around us, as we sat there and talked, no, it wasn't the hum. You know, you got so used to the hum that you didn't hear it anymore. You know how you live in New York and you don't hear the traffic? Well, we had something, honest to John, I hear it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Even now, I'll wake up out of a dream and hear it. I'm telling you the truth. We were living in the middle of the Everglades. Remember that. We had no power lines. We generated all our own power, and we had a maniacal little insane device known as a Leroy engine <laughs> and generator, M2. Well, this little Leroy engine went <laughs> night and day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 31 days a month, 369 million days a year. And, and you just sit there, you know, and you just sit and it's going... And, and you got to the point where you just sort of talk, you know, talk real loud. Say, hey, Gas... Hey, Gasser. And it was just... Because remember, we were in the jungle. There were sounds. It was a silent place. This insane tom-tom, hour after hour. And winding its way through it, was the sound of the radar keying unit. A 440 cycle note. Well, a 440 cycle note is roughly an A note. Can you imagine a pipe, a pitch pipe blowing at you for all of your life in 105 degrees with mosquitoes climbing all, it's going Our radar unit down there is keying. And then, and once in a while you'd hear the muffled scream of a GI in the distance. And time began to have absolutely no meaning because we were, our radar unit worked 24 hours a day. You didn't know when you were going to be on. And so they'd wake you up. You're laying there in your pool of sweat. Just, just, you just, you'd be amazed how you can sweat so much you can't believe you can sweat anymore, and then you sweat four more quarts. <laughs> and you just lay, and all of a sudden the guy's flashing the light in your eye, and you don't even say anything, you just get up. <laughs> and you go out there, and here is that, that insane radar unit. Boy, you, if you ever, I don't know whether any of you have ever gotten to the point where you hate an inanimate object the way Moby Dick was hated by Ahab you hate it you know and it's up there and it's great big and it just keeps going around 
looking down on those palm trees, these great big dipole antennas, and you'd hear the wind blowing through them. You know, we always hear, you know, wind is a romantic idea to us in the woods. Wind blowing through the spruce trees. Oh, I got so I couldn't stand the sound of that wind. It's blowing through this idiotic, insane radar unit, this SCR-268, and it would go, and then it would get slightly to the windward, you know, it would move, and then it would get out of the wind. And you're sitting there, and you're waiting for it to go again. And then it goes around, and and all the while that keying unit's going, and playing around the tops of this insane, maniacal nut was St. Elmo's fire. Three nights out of eight. We had all the proper, whatever they are, the magical qualities in, ma- in nature to put together St. You know what St. Elmo fire is? Well, it is kind of static electricity, only rotten, I'll tell you. Uh, it's like a whole bunch of little blue-green ghosts just running back and forth on the dipoles, back and forth. And you sit there for the next four hours, your sweat pouring down, and you've got a hood over your eyes, and you're watching that PPI, that scope, that little line, wee, wee, wee. And it just keeps going round and round, just round and round, and you sit, you get hot. And after a while, you know, you completely... uh, It's a funny thing. I don't think this has ever been recorded. You lose complete consciousness of yourself. You're an abstract mind. You don't feel your body. You don't know what time it is. There's no such thing as day. It must be the way it'll be with space travelers. There's no day. There's no night. There's no summer. There's no winter. There's no other people, even. And about... Fifteen feet away in the darkness, once in a while you pull out, you know, away from that PPI, and you look down there and you see this other huddled figure. And every time you go around, you get to the windward of them, you smell them. And you get so that you know the smell of all the guys, you know, gasser, you know, dunker, you know, more, you know. You don't even have to say, hey, gasser, you know, just comes and you say, you know. And, and we're just sitting there and it's going round and round, and every night, what do you think we're looking for? German submarines, no planes. Oh, oh, wait a minute now. Once every three or four nights, this is what made it the, the world's most eerie experience. I don't know of any experience in civilian life like it. You're quietly surveying that great ocean out there laying off to the east coast of Florida. You just see those PPI lines. You've got a pair of cans. And once in a while, you hear somewhere off in the distance at the OP... You hear whoever is the officer in duty, he says, hey, gas in the coffee hut. And somebody shoves a cup of coffee in your hand. You don't even know it. You just get this big mug of this. It's hotter than the outside air, that's all. You drink a little bit. And suddenly, without any warning, there's a dot. You can't believe it. You stop and you say, I'm her. 240 degrees, hold it, sweep, 7 degrees left, 7 degrees right, We and it goes, we. 
We, by God, there's a pimp. There's something out there. All of a sudden, it's like you've contacted the other world. There is a world out there. Somehow you welcome those Germans, you know, those Nazis. You're like, oh, fellas out there. You know, hey, guys. And I can see these guys, they've been underwater for four years, you know. And the funny part of it is, you know what they would do? They would come up to the surface to hang out their wash. You don't hear about these things. and They did. They'd come up to the surface to recharge their batteries and hang out their wash. You know, you'd see these, you'd see some Nazi out there hanging up his, his jockey shorts. You know, Somehow it's life, you know. Well, well, we, here's our radar unit. It goes, wee. And it sort of hovers. Everything stops. You don't hear the sound of those, that pocket of pocket engine. You forget the mosquitoes. You forget it all. You get that little tiny pip. That little thing, and the thing keeps sweeping, wing, wing, and there it is, wing. And then you can't, you know, the first, the first feeling you have is, oh my God, am I going to make an idiot of myself? You don't want to tell somebody that it's there. You can't believe it at first, you know, but it's there, it's there. So the three of us get together. There's three of us on these little seats in the darkness, absolutely removed from everyone else. And I say, hey, Gasser, do you see it? Gasser says, yeah. Dunker, do you see it? Yeah. Let's try another sweep. Maybe it'll go away. So we go, we nothing. You know, we pick up Miami, we He's there. He's there. And then invariably Dunker would say, Hey Gasser, will you get the repair NCO? We don't believe our radar unit is working. We never believed it, you know. Get the repair NCO. And so we crank the thing. Five minutes later, this master sergeant arrives. What's the matter? Let me see. We. He says, it's a pip. Get the second lieutenant. Something's wrong with the set. No one believes anything, you know, in the Army. You can't, you know, this thing is not... Well, after about 40 minutes of this, it has finally decided that there is something out there. And all the while, you know, we've got listening devices that are trying to pick up the surface sounds. We've got radios, DF equipment trying to pick them up. And they finally have located this little German sub laying on the surface there, and you can hear the guys talking about the automatic washer. Say, hey, bring up some more soap for it. Say, hey, whoop, hi. And you hear them talking. We lay there. And then it all starts. Somebody says, red alert. Give them the red alert. The red alert in the middle of the jungle. You know, it's black, nothing. There's nobody there. Red alert, you know. We the Army loves words like that. It makes them feel like Operation Blitz. You know, four little guys like Rip Torn are charged. And that's Operation Blitz. Red alert. And so instantly, we send back the radio message to the nearest town, which is on Jupiter Island. And it's sent back to another place and another place. And we sit and watch them, waiting for our peerless armed forces to take care of them. We're just watching. These are scenes you never hear in, in, in war books, true? We're just watching, see. And then, I'll never forget the night. We're sitting there watching this sub, the three of us. 
It's just a little dot on a scope, you know. It's, I'll tell you what it looks like. You know when you turn your TV set off and it goes, Ooh, that little thing that's left? <laughs> See? That is, that is an S2 German sub. <laughs> now, when it starts to go up to the corner of the TV set, you're in trouble. He is leaving, see? And so, so it's laying right there, see? And if you can imagine, here's the way these sets look. If you can imagine, right at that center point, you know, where that little dot goes on your set, if you can imagine a line that's swept, woo, woo, that's the way it looked. You look at that thing for four years, boy, and some guys are still hypnotized from it. Their wives wonder why they get that funny look in their eye. There's something still going. Every time they look at their TV set, they say, They see the coast of Tripoli go past. All oh, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, one night we sat there. These are unrecorded moments in the, in the war. And we're watching a sub that's laying about a mile off the coast. Now, at first, we didn't believe it was, but there it was. It was obviously a pip that had not been there. It's there now. We know there's something. And so the three of us are just sitting there in the dark. It's about 4 o'clock in the morning. We're watching this insane little thing. You know, it's peculiar when you can reduce a whole nation, an entire ideology, the enemy, to a tiny pinpoint of light. It's a fantastic concept of war. And we had the feeling that we were really looking at Germany. No, this is it. The little dot right there. So we're watching. A half an hour goes by. Nothing happens. We have alerted the entire coast. The Navy is supposed to be sending planes down. Nothing. Nothing. And then all of a sudden, the upper right-hand corner of our scope there is another pinpoint of light. And it's going across, directly across the path of the first one. And Gasser says, what's that? Dunker says, it's a freighter. It's a freighter. And I said, wait, let's sweep back again. By God, it is. Another ship is out there in the darkness. And it's getting closer to the first one that's laying on the surface. Gasser picks up the phone. He was the ranking NCO. He was a PFC. <laughs> Gasser picks up the phone, and he goes, <clears throat> like that. A pip at quadrant three. It's proceeding about six knots, yeah. A mile and an eighth offshore, yeah. I don't know. That's not my problem. We, it's getting closer and closer. Nothing is happening. No airplanes. Not a sound. Except the sound of the mosquitoes. And that sound of that insane little motor. And we're watching the entire war. Well, that little dot got closer and closer. Gasser kept calling up. And then suddenly those two dots were so close together, they began to merge. And then, boom, you hear a funny sound. Have you ever heard a real explosion, any of you? 
You don't really hear it. It just sort of hits you. It just goes boom. And we both pull back just like that from our scope. And you can see way out in the darkness this great red cloud going up higher and higher. Way up in the air. We're just watching. And now there is only one pip. Just one. And it's laying there. It moves just a little bit to the right now. They have surfaced again and they're moving off a little to the right to see how they did. And you see this great red glow in the sky. They have hit a high-octane aviation gasoline transport. She has gone up like one big firecracker. Well, we watched that pip for about 15 minutes with the mosquitoes getting more and more aggressive. And then suddenly we hear the sound of an airplane. One hour and ten minutes has passed since our first alert, and we hear coming down from the left, somewhere up in the north end of Florida, we hear, it is a Piper Cub. I'm telling you the truth. It is a Piper Cub. We pick him up on the scope, and somebody says, what the devil is that? Is that the Navy? It's hardly moving. We look up, and there is this little Piper CAP plane. It's being flown by a dentist on his day off from Jacksonville. He has been alerted to go out and look at what those nutty Signal Corps guys are up to again. And he flies out, and he takes one look at that sub, and they look up at him, they unlimber their 20-millimeter can and just go boom, boom. He turns around and comes tearing back. They don't even go under the water. They're sitting up there eating sauerkraut, having a picnic, you know. You can, you can smell the spare ribs all the way in there. And we're sitting there. It's now 4 o'clock in the morning. The little Piper Cub has... has swept over us about 10 feet over our heads. He is going, he's on his way now to Cleveland. He doesn't want to have anything to do with this. And then quietly, about 10 minutes after four, the pip disappeared. That's it. That was an incident in the war. That was one battle. 182 guys went up on the ship. And the next morning, we could see that ship, just little, a mast sticking out, just laying out there in the water. And the whole shoreline near where we were was covered with life rafts, pieces of rubble and stuff. And that night, we're sitting in our tent. We are off, Gasser, Dunker, and Shepard, the three hard-hitting scourges of the Third Reich, the signal corps. We're sitting there and the temperature is 110 degrees. The mosquitoes have finally arrived. Our little machine is going... And Gasser goes out and takes a look at the chart. Comes back. Says 105.7. That was the average temperature today. Brushing the mosquitoes. You know what day this is, fellas? This is the first day of summer. It was just starting. 
It was 105. And it was the beginning of summer. And I lay back on the bunk. I'm chewing on a Fig Newton. By the way, I, I wonder whether any of you know how many Fig Newtons are devoured by the average member of the armed forces. The Fig Newton is one of the rare cookies that doesn't break at the bottom of a barracks bag. And the great thing about a Fig Newton is when it gets moldy, you can peel it. <laughs> and, and, and we got to the point where we'd mash our Fig Newtons up and mix it with alcohol for the unit. We'd stir it all up. Somebody would put a cake of yeast in it. Someone would come along with a handful of raisins. Some guy would pop out a bottle of Yoo-Hoo. And we'd sit there with this thing in the middle of the tent with a little can of Sterno under it, waiting to see, waiting to see what's going to happen. If it blew up, you ran. If it just hissed, you drank it. <laughs> yeah, this is high life in the signal court. So we're sitting there, and at about 2 o'clock on the first day of summer, the mail arrived. We got our mail roughly every third week. And the mail arrived, and I remember there was a picture in the New York Daily News front page it said summer is here and by God it is look at him hey this is the gang this is the gang from the Red Garter down the street give them a big cheer And if you think we've been feverish up to now, wait till you hear this crew.
That was the uh, band from the Red Garter down about a block. Go give them a cheer before they leave. They're about a block away from us here. If you uh, if you got nostalgia uh, for that for for terrible hot, steamy, fetid weather, we're down here in the village. Uh, we we uh, we have a newscast coming up in about five minutes, and uh, you know there's a there's a strange little postscript to that story, the story about the army. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. A strange... Well, all right, I'll tell it to you whether you like it or not. You're going to get it. <laughs> Boy, it's great to have this pride under your command, I'll tell you. But you know, it's funny, sitting there watching that thing, we, we had developed, you see, of course, uh, I, think, I think the human being is like the cockroach. There's a great similarity. We are, without any question of a doubt, along with the cockroach, we are one of the most adaptable, hardy, completely blood-sucking creatures on the face of the earth, you know? There's, there's no... Uh, the, the, the cockroach does not weave or spin. He doesn't bring anything to the earth. He just takes. And here we're all sitting here taking. We're no different, you know. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I had a funny, uh, funny experience up in Maine here a couple of couple of days back it's very strange you know uh living in the uh the completely specialized urban world that we live in almost all of us now today do no question about it even if you live out in the jersey hills you're in the urban world believe me you you're getting the vibrations from ed sullivan over there just like us you know it's, it's there well one day i see i'm standing on the shore of this lake up in maine I see this tiny dot moving across the lake. It's a moose. I've never seen a moose in my life. They don't even have them, have them in zoos, do they? I don't know. You never see a moose in a zoo, you know? There was this moose swimming across the lake. And I'm looking, I can't believe it, you know? There are houses and people, and, uh, you know, there are TV sets, and a moose is swimming across the lake. <laughs> You know, moose has got a great big thing hanging out in front, big ears, and they, they kind of, kind of, they look like, you remember Slim Somerville in the movies? <laughs> There's a kind of quality. They look like, they look human, the moose. And I, I pick my glasses up and I look, and behind this moose is a dog. This dog has chased him all across this nine-mile lake. They're both swimming, and about 50 yards behind the moose is the dog yapping away. You know, and the moose is gone like this. Some city dog, you see, <laughs> has come down from Brooklyn, and he is chasing the only moose in the entire county across the lake. Well, the poor moose gets up on the shore, and he starts to unbend. Well, the moose is 19 feet tall, you know. The moose starts to unbend, and he stands down there, and out of the water, hey, 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 this little insane nut, the moose takes one look behind him, he goes off into the woods. This giant 14-ton creature goes trotting off, and this tiny little off into the distance. And I thought, by God, it's Sixth Avenue all over again. <laughs> I mean, no matter where you go, they're after you, and it's a yard wide. Of course, man, you know, ever, ever they are. I'll tell you, this is this is the curb your dog state. And by the way, wouldn't that be a great New York? license plate slogan. Uh, it was... <laughs>
the curb your dog state. <laughs> I, I don't know whether any of you outside people who live in places like Trenton, you know, out there in the outside world who live out here in Hackensack, places like that, I don't know whether you know that here in New York there's a special ambience to the atmosphere on hot summer days. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's all here and it's a yard wide. Well, actually, though, the urban life, though, does has it, has its, it, it, it genuinely has its challenges. How many of you here play Russian roulette with those automatic doors that open in the supermarkets? <laughs> you know what I mean? You got, you got 18 cases of, 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 of Coke or something, and you charge the door. Glass, you hope it's not going to open. You boom! And the last instant it swings open. Oh, Jesus. It's Russian roulette, you know. One day it's not going to open, and that'll be the day that a new hero will be born in Hackensack. <laughs> the guy that stopped operations at the food fair for over four minutes. <laughs> well, we'll be back out here at the limelight in just five minutes. And uh, I have to warn those of you who are out there festering <laughs> that what has gone on the show up to now is as nothing that will come on the show after the women and children. We know that the women and children leave at 10.59.30. After that, it's just us. Oh, and what we can't do. All right, say goodbye. So long.